We're workplace caregiver advocates, and we provide practical and inspirational training for working caregivers through the companies they work for. I'm Debbie Howard, and I'm a caregiver advocate, a market researcher, and a yoga enthusiast. I'm Jonathan Brody. I'm a gerontologist who has worked in global healthcare for over 20 years, launching both pharmaceuticals and devices for adults, as well as being a caregiver for my family as well. I'm Tanya Krim, market researcher, gerontologist, caregiver long distance because my parents are in London. I'm also a coffee and chocolate lover. Our mission at Caregiver Camps podcast is to expand the boundaries of thinking around where and how companies can support their caregiving employees. We hope you enjoy this episode today. Hi, I'm Tanya Krim, your host for this episode of Caregiver Camp podcast. And I'm here today with our guests, Dr. Amy Dorr and Chris Gherkin. Welcome, ladies. Just a little bit about Amy and Chris before we get started. Dr. Amy Dorr is a professor teaching in the undergraduate healthcare management and graduate master of health administration programs at Metropolitan State University of Denver. She is a graduate of that college, has a master of health systems from the University of Denver, as well as a doctor of health administration from Central Michigan University. For more than 19 years, Dr. Dorr has taught courses in human resources, long-term care, organizational behavior, practice management, and research methods. Her research interests are varied and include aging services, senior and caregiver health, rural health, health disparities, and diversity issues. She has authored and co-authored several book chapters, original case studies, and regularly presents on her many teaching and research endeavors. She also enjoys partnering with Chris on anti-ageism efforts. Over to Chris now. Chris holds a BS in human development with concentrations in aging, grief and loss from the State University of New York. She also holds a Master of Health Administration degree from MSU Denver. She is focused on improving and increasing community awareness about healthcare programs to enhance well-being for all people. Her work centers on public health issues involving equity and well-being. It also includes program development, community engagement, facilitation, aging issues and education, advocacy, media production, policy work, and advanced care planning. She's obviously a very busy lady. She also advocates for bridging generations and ending ageism. Working with Changing the Narrative, she was an executive producer for a PBS 12 series titled On the Same Page, bringing multi-generations of Colorado community representatives together to discuss ageism. She currently manages an intergenerational ageism campaign by facilitating and organizing virtual discussion groups. Recently, she has developed an ageism and healthcare campaign consisting of a fact sheet, a presentation, and a short film. Again, welcome. And you're obviously extremely involved in trying to make our society less ageist. I um, have always been an inquisitive person, as you know. So naturally, I'm going to have a bunch of questions for you, ladies, and I know you're going to take turns answering. So on to today's topic, which is entitled, Moving from Age-Friendly to an Age-Inclusive World. Okay, so thank you for joining us. Again, welcome Amy and Chris. I'm going to start off by asking each of you, first of all, what brought the two of you together professionally? Well, what brought us together professionally was when I decided in my early 50s to go back to school to pursue my master's in health administration degree. And Amy, or Dr. Dorr, was leading that program at MSU Denver. And that's how we first met. 
And then in taking classes there, I learned over time that she and I shared the common interest of aging issues and that whole world that exists. And so that is essentially what connected us. And through that passion that we both have to improve the lives for older adults everywhere, um, it has led to us presenting at different conferences and just doing more work together since I've graduated. And it's just, it's wonderful because we both inspire each other. So it's a great uh, dynamic. Thank you. Amy? Well, I continue my research in studying perceptions of um, older adults and ageism and even what aging services means to others. And it started with students. And then I continued that alongside creating additional classes that are particular and specific to ageism and bringing that into our curriculum because I really would love my legacy to be that I was able to provide information that could help students grow. Now, you can see why Chris is inspirational to me with all that she does. And I really have utilized Chris's experiences in my classroom. So another um, really exciting new venture for me is looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace and also bringing that into my classroom and showing how we can really grasp onto the concept of ageism when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Great. Thank you so much. Now, just very quickly, if each of you could describe the work that you're working on currently, um, so we get a, a picture for where it's at right now. Sure. Um, so I'm working for Changing the Narrative, which is an initiative based in Colorado focused on ending ageism. And we provide all kinds of education and advocacy around anything to do with ageism and how it exists. So the work that I'm specifically, well, initially, I began my work with Changing the Narrative through my capstone project for my MHA degree. And that was to develop a program called On the Same Page, and it's focused on intergenerational conversations about ageism. And for that, it's just bringing to people together, whether they work together or just neighbors or family members, to have conversations about what age and aging means to them, how they've experienced it, and just how to move past all the stereotypes and biases that we have that begin in childhood um, to where now I'm currently in the process of putting out this campaign that is about ageism in healthcare which consists of a fact sheet and a slide presentation and a film. And the film is in its final stages of wrapping up. So I'm really excited about that. And this, um, that campaign will be presented to different organizations and just community members. It's, it's really simply directed to all people, all ages, because we all have some connection to health or healthcare. And so it will educate a lot of people. I'm dying to see that one. Amy, how about you? Sure. Well, we know ageism existed before COVID-19, but it has been called the last acceptable prejudice. And that is something that really we want to look at. And this includes employment laws. We have to understand a little bit of history about ageism. Ageism is not something new. It was just brought more to light with COVID-19 and the pandemic, but it actually goes far back as 1963 and 64 when we had the Equal Pay Act and the Civil Rights Act. So there's a whole history and timeline that deserves recognition, but also to the point where we are now, as mentioned, as ageism being the last acceptable prejudice as we um, know today. 
Yes, I always call that DEI, the diversity, equity and inclusion. That's where I'm totally at. And it's like ageism fits right into that little box. So better now than any other time, who would like to define what ageism is, please, for our audience and also explain why it's so important to recognize it in our society. So the World Health Organization defines ageism as the stereotyping, discrimination, and prejudice against someone based upon their age. And it applies to younger and older people, but it's primarily directed more commonly toward older people. And the World Health Organization in their research has found that one out of two people worldwide are ageist against older adults. So it's clearly a problem everywhere. And in addition to that, um, it's a serious problem and it's mostly unknown by the majority of people, but the World Health Organization in conjunction with the United Nations just launched an international campaign about combating ageism. Um, they just launched this in March of this year. And it's just, it's a really big issue and people are just beginning to understand how it's impacting their lives. I actually had also read that 80% of US adults ages 50 to 80 experience ageism daily, which I thought was a horrific and sobering reality. <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk about the COVID-19 reality and what it really highlighted about our society and ageism. Um, You know, I remember hearing this horrible phrase, boomer remover, and I'm just wondering whether there are any examples that you can provide as well, which just highlights the despicable way in which older adults were treated and referred to during this horrible time. Well, in Colorado, part of the decision-making process for the crisis standards of care was being reviewed during COVID and how to designate who should receive care and who should not receive care in hospital systems. And part of that criteria involved chronological age as a factor to determine a person's need of care. And it's it was not looking at the full picture by just applying chronological age, because as we all know, at any age, you could have a chronic condition or many chronic conditions, which would put you at a higher risk. And so when they applied chronological age as a factor, it was missing the mark because there are plenty of people that are above 65 that are in very excellent health and there are much younger people that have chronic conditions. So it was a not a clear, it was just, it's actually a discrimination against someone by based upon age to reject them for care in a hospital system. So it raised a lot of red flags for, for people that know that that was ageist. So if I could bring in an example, what, or extend what Chris was talking about, what COVID showed us was even access to ventilators or access to intensive care units was based on chronological age. And it's the first time in our history that we have had to really address this as a problem across the globe. We also saw um, personal protective equipment, so PPE, being diverted. So if you had long-term care organizations order PPE that was vital, critical to the safety and well-being of their residents, it could be completely diverted to a hospital or a different care setting because of the perceived importance of what Chris talked about as crisis standards of care. 
That was shocking. Was that actually just in Colorado or across the country that you found out? It was across the country. Wow. I'm taking a deep breath and I will remain polite. Um, So those were two of the examples. I'm sure there are plenty of others. Um, If we can talk a little now just generally, because you did mention earlier that ageism is a global reality, any ageist phrases or terms that you have heard in this country that you would like people to stop using because, again, it's just not respectful or dignified? Well, the one that was highlighted regularly during the pandemic, especially in the beginning, was um, boomer remover and okay boomer and these terms that were dividing groups of people. And that, those two are just really damaging. So that was not okay with me. Those, those really did bother me personally because I just felt like, why would you deliberately put that out there? And it, and it made me annoyed with just media in general that they would even print things like that or put that out there into social media because it it just evolved into something that was really divisive and then targeting different groups of people and abuse was happening directed at older adults and it was just it just actually was extremely dangerous so words are very important for us to be conscious of and how we're what we're saying about people so that's that's one take that I just think was actually very alarming. I think sometimes it can feel like a moving target and we don't know what is the politically correct term to use. So it all boils down to communication and respect for what an individual would prefer prefer to be called. For example, we are teaching our our employees and our students to not use the term senior citizen or elderly, but there could be some that are just fine with that. Um, So what is the most respectful way to communicate? And that is to be aware and have this awareness and to also understand that there might be some implicit bias that or unconscious bias that you are unaware of. And so this might be a really good time to address the concept of age friendly versus age inclusive. And this is something that we're, we're not saying age friendly is incorrect. We actually really like the term age friendly. So does society. So do organizations that, that we have seen the term used quite widely. What we are saying is let's learn from others. So I learned this from someone else who is also learning from someone else. And we had this conversation about how can we push it a little bit further? What needs to be done to acknowledge that age friendly? Yes, maybe is the first step, but what's next layer. So let's look at how we can embrace society. And this comes from firsthand knowledge of being told by someone who is maybe an elder that we can learn from saying that, well, I understand and I appreciate that you are friendly to me but let's actually learn how you can embrace me. I think that's really beautiful um, because friendly can be superficial. It can be kind of lukewarm. It can be very warm. But when you feel included, that's like a different level of depth and closeness to the person with whom you're interacting. So I think the age-inclusive descriptor to me does bring major It really does. I, I think that we want to be sure that we are respectful, but also instead of saying, well, we, we kind of accept you and we're going to be friendly to you, but we don't really want to include you. And, and that's the goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things, yeah, sorry. One of the things we haven't really talked about is how ageism negatively affects us, you know, the whole world. So can we just you know, run through that if you've got a few, you know, pieces of, you know, valuable insight to bring to the party on that. And then we'll talk about 
ageism in the workplace? We know that those individuals who have a negative perception or connotation of aging can live seven and a half years less than the average person who may have a positive or a little bit more positive take on aging. And also economy-wise, it really hits us um, in the workplace because age discrimination in the workplace costs the economy $850 billion. And this is something that maybe Chris can come in and talk a little bit more about. Um, But those are just startling factors when you're considering what the impact is. But another impact that ageism has on us is in the context of elder speak. And the definition of elder speak is essentially when you speak to an older person as though they're a child. And most often, a lot of people do that because they're genuinely just trying to be sincere and endearing to someone, right? But the evidence and research has found that when we speak to people in that way, it makes them feel incompetent. It has a negative downward effect, which decreases their self-esteem, promotes depression and withdrawal, and it just can exacerbate any anything of their own self-image in such a negative way that it ultimately affects their well-being and their quality of life and their health. So the words that we say matter and the way that we say our words matter. So that's another thing that is just important for people to be aware of. They may be genuinely trying to be nice, but it's it's hurting that person. So some of the strategies um, that we can use to counter these generational conflicts are what? I mean, yes, words matter, changing up the words, making sure that the conversation is done in, in a respectful way. Um, people do not feel demoted, demeaned, disrespected. Any other strategies to use just in general everyday interactions? And then we'll talk about specifically the workplace. Sure. So we have to be, like Chris said, uh, more conscious of our words and our actions. We need to understand also that we need to put the knowledge out there. So the vast majority of students graduating from any type of university or college have very limited experience studying issues pertaining to aging, older adults, or even our multi-generational workforce. Uh, One of the things that um, had been mentioned by some other people I've spoken to is the fact that ageism also leads to decreased financial security. Um, You know, loss of job is loss of health insurance, all that type of stuff. And do you think that that's common knowledge? You know, like these millennials start their jobs and, you know, it's all fine and dandy. Do they, do you think they realize that, you know, once they turn 50, even, you know, it can be a downward spiral. Do you think that one of the strategies to use going forward is to maybe, you know, let it be known out there that, this world, you know, your financial security is going to be impacted one day as well. 50 comes sooner than you think, even when you're 22. Do you think that's maybe something that's, you know, an effort that can be used in the anti-ageism fight? Yeah, uh, definitely bringing more awareness and attention to that is, is crucial. People are working much longer, either because they want to, because they're living longer, or because they have to financially support themselves. Because, you know, Social Security doesn't necessarily pay everyone's bills, you know, as they move into older age. And then couple that with healthcare costs that can also just put somebody way over the edge financially. Um, There was an interesting fact that came out kind of during the pandemic that AARP found that um, during the first six months of the pandemic, workers ages 55 and older 
were 17% more likely to lose their jobs than employees who are just a few years younger. So there's like this targeting happening to older adults that, you know, it's been happening for a while. But uh-huh. Why is that though? Do they not bring something to the party in the workplace? They know they have incredible benefit to being in the workplace. It, it benefits everyone in the workplace when there are older adults and you can foster those relationships amongst generations, but there's stereotypes that it can cost more to have an older employee versus hiring somebody younger at a lower salary. But those things have, those are all just myths. And there's evidence that shows that it's counter to those things. Like it's, those are not actually true. Mm -hmm. Um, And the benefits strongly outweigh anything that could be negative. Mm -hmm. So if we talk about the workplace, in fact, um, I remember having to watch as a requirement when I was doing my master's in gerontology, The Intern, which was a movie starring Robert De Niro. And it really was about the juxtaposition of the knowledge of the older adults versus the tech savviness of the younger generation. And it actually showed the value of each age segment. So that was interesting. Um, any just one or two strategies that should be used in the workplace to really highlight the fact that older adults employees do bring value um, I think that COVID has shown us that, you know, all different employees have come to the workplace with situations, whatever those are. So any suggestions for us? Sure. Well, we need to acknowledge the research that shows us that 45 per, 45% of older applicants report age discrimination when they are in the uh, job process and um, hunting for a job. So if we were to consider maybe some strategies that will um, be a win-win for organizations and for older adults is that we have capabilities out there with technology. So consider technology, training, reskilling. You know, the aging adult is highly capable of learning new skills. And we need to remember that. Uh, Consider things such as apprenticeships or pre-apprenticeships or those internships that you just mentioned for older adults. You know, society has the concept that we retire at a certain age and we don't want to do anything after that except for maybe go on vacation and do nothing. And it's actually the opposite. There's so much to give. So having also the competency-based training when it comes to hiring, I think to combat ageism and biases needs to happen and also to focus on those communication styles. And this can be a bit more challenging because there are barriers in the workplace because we have up to five generations in the workplace at one time and really looking at the fact that you could have a younger manager working with Uh, an older employee and what does that mean for communication styles? The other uh, thing to consider would be phased retirement. And this is something I wish more organizations would consider because as I mentioned, you don't necessarily need to assume or want to assume that everyone wants to retire at age 65. Yes, that's a good point. In fact, I remember when I was working in a very large New York ad agency, there was a lady called Dorothy who was 84. And I think I had just started and I was probably 24 or 25, something like that. And I, we all had the utmost admiration actually for her abilities as well as her resilience and desire to show up at work every day. So um, Chris, anything to add on the, you know, on ensuring that age inclusivity happens. I think that Amy talked about education and training. Um, Any other kind of touchy-feely 
things that can help ensure that age inclusivity becomes a thing of the future, the near future? <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, yeah, I had such a positive experience being an, a quote-unquote older adult student, you know, and I was the majority of the students in my class were in their 20s, I would say. And it was just a really positive experience. And I didn't ever feel, I didn't look at anybody like through an age lens, you know, that I felt different in any way. And so that just might be my own personal view of the world. But I think that it's really important wherever you are, whether it's in your workplace or your neighborhood or just where you go to see people for what they have and what their values are just as a human being rather than categorize them based upon the age that you assume that they are. And uh, we were speaking earlier on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when you're building programs like that, which is becoming very commonplace now, be sure to include age as part of that and that you're bringing awareness to that the prejudices and stereotypes and discrimination that occur toward people based upon age and have conversations because one of the primary ways to end ageism is education, educating each other about what it's like to be the age that you are and to learn from one another from your own personal experiences. And that's literally what stops stereotypes and ends them. So that would be my recommendation is just educate each other, be curious about each other and what you have to offer and who are you? Because it's so common for older and younger people to find things that they actually have in common. It's interesting. I would imagine in one of the positives um, within this awful COVID experience should be the fact that we've all been thrown together. Families that may not have wanted to hunker down together, you know, intergenerational stuff happened. Um, so maybe now is absolutely the correct time to be spearheading such an effort. Amy, would you like to finish up on an additional thought about age inclusivity in the workplace? I, I would like to encourage organizations to reimagine how they hire. And that would include um, starting at the application process and the branding process. So review job descriptions and make sure that there's not any language that is coded that is ageist. And to remove even asking for a birth date um, or a graduation date, uh, that still happens. And to also reflect a mix of ages and diversity of people in the branding of an organization and careers. Um, an organization typically, especially in healthcare, we want to become employers of choice. And to do that, we have to walk the talk and set the example. And I could probably go on and on, but there are tools out there. Use those resources, but take a really good candid look at your organization and be willing to be humble about some of the changes that might need to occur. I think that that's a, a great wrap up. I will just finish up my wrap up as fellow advocates in improving the world for older adults and their caregivers, I will say also, I do understand and hopefully the audience understands the enormous challenge ahead for companies and our society in general. And it's a global ageism issue that we're confronting and hopefully we will start to address it in the very near future effectively. And it seems like it's all about reframing old age um, the same way that we have started to reframe the diversity, equity, inclusion story. 
I particularly love your recommendation, ladies, for the term age inclusive. I'm going to do everything I can to start banding it around. So hopefully it'll catch, you know, catch everybody's uh, attention and it'll start happening. Um, and Amy and Chris, I really want to thank you very much for being here. I appreciate your the gems that you've shared with us and hope that next time we speak, there will be, we will have seen, we will have all witnessed major improvement in the world of um, age inclusivity, let's say. And um, I just would, you know, love to have you again. And together, hopefully we've got this. If anyone listening would like to read further about the Caregiver Camp, camp programs, please visit www.caregivercamps.com. We were thrilled to have Chris and Amy with us today. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You ladies. Find it. We really appreciate it. It was wonderful to speak with you today. It was. We would love to come back. Absolutely. We would love to have you. <laughs> All right, ladies. Thanks so much. Thank have a good you. rest of the day. You too. Enjoy your coffee. Thanks. <laughs> you Bye. too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is Debbie Howard. This is Tanya Krim. And I'm Jonathan Brody. We are the hosts of Caregiver Camps podcast. Please feel free to share our podcast and consider joining us for new perspectives in creating more productive, caregiver-friendly workplaces. Come visit us at caregivercamps.com to learn more about how we can help your company. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time at Caregiver Camps podcast.